0: Good morning, C4 family. There we go. Good morning. So glad that you're here this morning and want to welcome the many of you watching and listening online wherever you might be, in Ajax, in Durham, in Canada, or around the world. We're glad you're joining us here this morning. Again, I just want to start before I start preaching by saying thank you so very much for all of you that served last week so people could hear the good news about Jesus. Let's just, if you served last week, could you stand for a moment. Just who you served on Easter, Good Friday at 9.05 in the evening, just stand. Let's give them a hand for doing that. Very thankful. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you for giving up your seats too. It's going to be a trend in our church, I hope and I pray. Well, we're still in the book of John and we're actually still in the Easter story. And so if you've got the Bible this morning, physically or virtually, I'd love you to turn or navigate to John chapter 20. If you don't have one this morning, always a remembrance that we've got Wi-Fi in here. You can access it. You can get hard copies out of the desks, or it's right here on the screens. Our theme, as you see, was color. A powerful, unexpected theme on Good Friday and on Easter. But it's interesting. We're not done the Easter story yet, and the theme still stand strong. But it's not the whole story. You ever bought a new shirt or taken a shirt to the dry cleaners that you love? And it's new and it's bright or it's been pressed and it's rejuvenated. It's got all of its color. And then life happens. Children, cars, mud. (laughs) You wipe your brand new favorite shirt, the one that's so vibrant against a car. And suddenly, though it is still vibrant and bright, there is a large smudge now across it. At that moment, you pray for love, joy, peace, and patience, don't you? Or say other things that you don't want to admit. But here's the point the color doesn't go away, but there is now something mixed in the color again called blackness. See, that is an apt description. Of the continuing Easter story. What has happened is happened. Color is present, vibrant, and yet if you keep reading the story carefully, there's a large smudge. It was my first year of my undergrad in Bible college. I was there. I was really excited. I went to Ikea with my parents <laughs> and decorated my whole room, got the Poang chairs. Do you know what those are? Yeah, and I was ready. At 12 years old, I knew I was going to be a pastor. God called me. There was no doubt in my mind. I actually reoriented some of my high school education to prepare. And I went, and I was finally there. I was reading the books. I always wanted to read theology and and, and philosophy and biblical studies and dialoguing and debating and trying to understand. Then one morning it happened. I, I can't tell you why it happened, but it did. In the midst of all that preparation, all that excitement, all that color, a large black stain came across my life doubt. Did I really believe in God? and not only that did i really believe in a in a personal god that i actually knew and 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 what about heaven and and what about hell and what about all the other religions i mean i hang out with muslims and hindus and buddhists and even wiccans and i've even hung out with some satanists and amazingly a lot of them are good people what about evil what about tsunamis What about sexuality? I mean, what I read in the Bible and and what, what we're all experiencing as a culture, it just seems so, I don't know. And then Jesus, I mean, claiming to be the only way and the only truth and the only life, and no one gets to God except through him. I had given my life, my high school life. I was the Jesus person in high school. I wore a cross the size of myself every day. I was one of those. My wife said if she had met me in high school, she would have hated me or killed me. Hmm. True. What to do? I was filled with doubt. My own experience was dark, it was colorless, it was scary. And yet I wouldn't trade it for the world. I stand here today among you as a brother more committed, more on fire, more mature in Jesus because faith actually grows in the dark places called doubt. Light shines brightest in darkness. Color is experienced in the most palpable way on a canvas of black and gray. As a song went a few few years ago, the shadow proves the sunshine. Christians, many of us seem to be afraid of doubt. We're afraid of those that doubt among us and outside of us. We don't want to talk about it. We want to suppress it. We refuse to think about it. We want to run from anything that looks like that. Maybe we're afraid of insulting God. Maybe we're afraid of, of calling his will, or question, his will or character into question. Maybe, here's the real thing, some of us are afraid if we really have the conversation, we're going to step over a line and we're never going to get home back to Jesus or faith. Some of us are afraid of damaging other people's faith. but The truth is, every one of us sitting in this room and online will face doubt most of our lives and will face crises multiple times. See, this is truly the next part in the Easter story. But before we get there, let me stop and define some terms. There's an amazing theologian named Alistair McGrath. He's a great gift to the church. He's alive today. He lives... Uh, in Oxford. He's a great evangelical Anglican thinker, and he writes a lot about faith and doubt. And he said, let us never, ever, ever misunderstand or, or confuse three different definitions. I shared with these, these definitions in 2007 in our community. One is unbelief, one is skepticism, and one is doubt. Unbelief is a decision not to have faith in God. Unbelief is an act of the will rather than a difficulty of understanding. Skepticism is different than that. It's like glasses you put on. It's a worldview you hold. You choose to doubt everything deliberately as a matter of principle. The the sky is blue. Prove it. I like pizza. Why? Prove it. It's skepticism. Unbelief is a choice. Skepticism is an approach to life. Doubt, he writes, is different. Doubt means you're asking questions or voicing uncertainties from the standpoint already of faith. You believe, but you have difficulties with what you believe in or you're worried about some aspect of it. Faith, listen closely, and doubt are not mutually exclusive, but faith and unbelief absolutely are. You see, I love God. And I love the God I have personally encountered and many of us have. And I love his scriptures. Because God in his word does not gloss over human frailty, doubt, and question. The Bible is full of the faithful doubting all the time. Abraham, Jacob, Moses, Esther, David, Jeremiah, Peter, the list goes on and on and on. All great leaders and all great followers are frail and they are torn between faith and doubt, question and unbelief, the seen and the unseen. It was Martin Luther, the great reformer, who declared with all of his might, Christians are righteous and sinful at the same time. Doubt is a living sign and a reminder to every one of us sitting here today and online that you're frail, that we're sinful, and oh, by the way, we're created and not creator. And amazingly, and I love this, doubt is at the center of the Easter story, found in one of the most committed, found in Jesus's inner circle. Doubt is found in the middle of the greatest miracle and life change in history, Jesus's physical resurrection from the dead. Last week, like we just clapped about, we celebrated Jesus coming back from the dead. Easter had happened, color had spilled into our dark world, and like I preached last week, there is nothing now fully to fear. The worst has happened. The pitch black night did not overcome and swallow the glory of God. The light of the world has broken into our darkness. And on that Friday of injustice, crime, violence, torture, that day where Satan really seemed to win, on that day where war was stronger than peace, on that day scarily that religion seemed to kill any hope, That creator and created could actually have relationship. Jesus said, It is finished. And three days later, he rose physically from the dead and the world burst forth in color. Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene. And not only Mary Magdalene, then he appeared to 10 of his disciples. They're in a locked room. They're wanted men. They're afraid they're going to get crucified like Jesus was. And so they're hiding. Despondent is the best word. And Jesus miraculously teleports right in. He's physically there. He says, peace be with you. But do you remember the reaction? It's found in Luke 24, 38. He said, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your mind? Why are you freaking out, boys? It's okay. We've talked about this for three years. I told you this was going to happen. And I love this because Jesus knew they were doubting, not only because they were petrified by his presence, it's deeper than that. See, he knew their heart, their soul, for he is God. Jesus says, it's okay you're doubting. It's all good. You've seen me do amazing and crazy things for three years. This tops it, but, but now, he said, remember we, we talked about this last week, verse 39, look at my hands, look, look at my feet, and then John, it says, look at my side, it's me. Touch me and see, a ghost does not have flesh or bone as you see I have. And when he said this, he showed them their hand, his hands and his feet. This was the same person that they they knew before. The same person that called them. The same person they walked with for three years. And the same person who was beat, beaten mercilessly mercil- on the cross. He, he's the same person, but now he's standing among them. And the only marks left on him are probably here in his wrists, in his feet, and in his side. Every other mark, every other gash, every other broken thing is repaired. Why? Because Jesus has chosen to keep these marks as an eternal reminder that. He he's overcome death and overcome sin and overcome Satan it is a reminder for eternity like I preached last week that he loves us he's there in John 2020 if you got your Bible there it's where we ended last week he showed them his hands and his side and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord and Jesus again said to them because he knows we need help the second time peace be with you They move from skepticism and doubt to belief. Joy, real joy is there. Life is is right again. Everything that Jesus claimed about himself is true. It's vindicated by his resurrection. But actually not everything is okay. See, not everyone's there. Not everyone believes. Spring has not replaced everyone's winter. Color has not cascaded into the heart and minds of everybody. As we're about to see again, our faith is not easy. Our faith is not blind. Our faith is not just hearsay. One key player, one friend, one loyal follower does not know. Verse 24, Thomas, named twin, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus showed up. So 10 get to see Jesus, and Judas by this moment has committed suicide, and and Thomas... He's not there. He's one of the 12, but he's not among them. Now, there's no sense in the Bible, by the way, don't read into this, that he's sinful for not being there. We all deal with loss differently in this room, and so did they. Maybe he just wanted to be alone. Maybe he just went back to his job. Maybe he couldn't handle it. We don't know. But what we do know is this. He was no coward. Let's not forget what we've already learned about this man. In John 11... Jesus is about to go up towards Bethany. Remember, we talked about this. And the guy said, you cannot go, Jesus. There is a real conspiracy to murder you. And Jesus said, I'm going. And who spoke up? Was it Peter? Was it John? No, no. It was Thomas who said, fine, let's go up and die with him. That's not the voice of a coward. Chapter 14, Thomas wanted to understand when Jesus was predicting his death, resurrection, and then promising to, to go to his father's house to prepare some rooms for us. And he, and, and, and he says, I, I don't get this. And Jesus gives one of the most significant revelations in human history to doubting Thomas. John fourteen four reads like this. Jesus says, you know the way I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to God the Father except through me. The greatest statement of salvation, the greatest statement that has severed relationships, the greatest uh, statement that has built faith is given to the one who genuinely is struggling. If you read the whole Easter story, it's important. We're told that Jesus appears five times in 12 hours. He appears to Mary Magdalene, then to the other women. He appears to uh, the two guys on the road to Emmaus, and then he appears to the ten. See, skeptics would say, see, this is a setup. Some person, Mary, who's a little whatever, saw No, no, no. Jesus appears five times in 12 hours, and they have the same experience. They're not together, and they compare notes. This isn't broken telephone. This is historicity. After those five appearances, over 40 days, Jesus appears to over 500 people in five accounts, and one of them is with Thomas. John 20 25 reads like this The other disciples went and told Thomas, uh, We have seen the Lord. Can I just stop for a moment? This is great. I love this. I just got a text from Dave Adams in Uganda saying, Preach it, praying. Hold on. I'll respond. This is too good. <laughs> Doing it now. Amen. Okay. <laughs> Love it. Love it. We have seen the Lord. Thomas, the words would have hung in the air. Thomas responds at a pain hurt. I'm sure his body language was not open. The words would have rung in his tired head, the absurdity of what they were telling him. I mean, you're supposed to be my friends. We did this thing for three years. How could you drag me down this path if, if his beating wasn't enough and his torture wasn't enough and then seeing him mutilated on the cross and we all took off on him? Remember, we all left him. And then you dare show up here and tell me that you You've seen him? Peter, I do not believe you. And John, I don't believe you either. I don't believe any of you. Just shut up. Fine. You guys keep insisting this? Then here's my criteria for belief. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger in his side, uh, uh, then I am not going to believe this. Thomas demands visual and tactile proof before he'll ever believe in this. As one wrote, no skepticism could be more thoroughgoing than this. And perhaps it is worth noting even this morning that no one, nowhere in the New Testament, does anyone make a demand like this before believing. I want to see. I want to touch. It's like Thomas speaks for the world. I mean, this is too good to be true. I mean, it's really too good. Are you telling me that there really is life after death? Are you telling me I get to hang out with my great-grandmother? Are you telling me that the kid I lost at birth, I get to see them? Are you telling me there's forgiveness? Are you really saying that everything I've ever done that's been selfish and violent and sexual and wrong against myself and others and God? You're really saying that can go away? You're telling me there's hope beyond sex, money, power, and death? You're telling me that everything we as humans are primordially scared of is overcome? Don't misunderstand Thomas's cry. See, it's not rooted in unbelief, and it's not even rooted in modern skepticism. It's not that arrogant, scientific, concrete, prove-it attitude that has elevated science to the only statue of truth. This is emotional. This is hopelessness. His His doubt is rooted in pain and in the facts. See, I'll tell you, when I hang out, and I do, with deeply skeptical and unbelieving people, and I really have some coffees with them, and we actually get to know each other. I find it almost 100% of the time you can trace their jaded skepticism or their deep rooted unbelief back to an experience where they were either let down in their mind by God, the church, others, unmet dreams, or unexpectations. See, you can't reduce this to facts. You cannot know without knowing. God hears Thomas's challenge. He sees his broken heart, he sees his loss, and he does not act quickly. Interesting. Listen, everyone, just take a look for a moment. We're North Americans, we believe in acting now. But God doesn't. God waits, he gives Thomas time to think. He, he gives him time to ponder. Between seven and eight days pass, and, and Thomas is still among his friends, still wondering, still under threat. God knows the time Thomas needed. God knows the time you need. Jesus chooses to show up again physically, amazingly, but he's coming for one this time. A week later, verse 26, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them this time, and the doors were locked. Why? Because they're still under threat, And, and Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. It's Sunday. Seven days have passed, and you know, right, why we meet on Sundays as Christians, because it's the day Jesus rose from the dead. Every Christian service is a remembrance and celebration of Easter, A first full week has passed, and it ends up being the exact same and concludes as it did before in a locked room. And these men, now 11, Jesus comes physically among them into the room and deals with their fear by pronouncing, Peace be upon all of you. Then knowing all that Thomas had said and all that he believed in his heart, he looks at his friend. He looks at his hurt, confused, angry, let-down friend. And in grace and in mercy and in kindness, he says to him, Thomas, put your fingers here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it right in my side. Stop doubting and believe. It's okay, Thomas. It's me. The confidence you had in me before you still can have. I will not leave you. I will not let you down. I will not abandon you. I am here. I am real. I'm physical. I am still moving. What would Thomas do? Would he act? Would he run? This is now the choice between Christian real faith and unbelief. Thomas was not as much of a skeptic as he thought. At the sight of Jesus, his friend, his teacher, all his doubts and questions sort of vanish to the point that the test he sort of set up to disprove resurrection and his friends fades away and it's like he falls on his knees and he cries out with the loudest voice full of joy and praise and everything. He says, you are my Lord and you are my God. Shame and regret moves to reverence and worship. My Lord and my God, for the first time in John's gospel, Jesus is addressed personally in the absolute sense of God. And it comes from the lips of an honest doubter. My God, what a huge leap of faith. You know, context is king. I want to remind all of us this morning because we miss it. Thomas is a good Jewish man, he's a good Orthodox Jew, and so are the others. In most cases. And, and, and Thomas, at the appearance of Jesus physically in front of him, does something unbelievable. This statement divides us from every other faith on earth. This statement defines or undefines if you're a Christian or not. Everyone ready? He says, you are God. You are Yahweh. You are Elohim. You are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You deserve all my worship for you are the one that met with Moses and you are the one that met with Abraham. See, you are God. This is what John starts his whole gospel with and now Thomas is affirming it. In the beginning was the word Jesus, and the word Jesus was with God, and the word Jesus was God, and he was with God in the beginning. And in verse 14 it says, And the word became flesh and made his dwelling, He pitched his tent, he moved into the neighborhood among us. Now, here's the point. If Jesus wanted to stop Thomas, he would have. If this was wrong, if this was bad theology, if this was serious, then th- this is blasphemy, by the way, if this is wrong. And, and, and what does Jesus do? Does he say, no, 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 I'm an angel. No, 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 I'm a semi-God. No, no, I'm only the Son of God in, in the way you're thinking about it. No, what does he do? He actually affirms what Thomas says and goes deeper he speaks over Thomas and over the 11, and he actually begins to bless all those who would confess him as God over the next few thousand years until he comes back. Jesus told him, blessed are you because you've seen me and believe, but blessed are those more who have not seen me and yet have believed. At this moment, never forget this, there is not a church building in the world. There is not not the word or name Christian on anyone's lips. There is not a pastor, not an elder, not a bishop to be found. The cross is only a terrible instrument of death. It has not been redeemed as a place of color and light and forgiveness. At this moment, maybe, maybe 15 people believe on Jesus, and yet Jesus knows, for he is God, what is he coming, and he says, blessed are the many millions that will believe on me later and have not seen me yet. Side note, that's us. That's us. It says, as we come near the end of John, that Jesus did all sorts of other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, and they're not recorded in this book. In other words, John cherry-picked on purpose what he needed to, because it would take so many books to write out everything he did. And then he says these words, but this has been written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing on him, you may have life in his name. See, this is the climax of the book. Why did John write this? Why did Thomas confess this? Why did Jesus get born? His claims, his work, his teaching, his physical death and resurrection, it is here so we can enter into the same original experience that the disciples did. We can believe on Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting, if you read this, you could read this two different ways in Greek. You can read it the first way, if you have not met Jesus yet, then you're welcome to come meet him for the first time. The other way to read it in Greek is this, you've already met Jesus, and I want you to keep on believing. I want you to keep on knowing that he's in heaven, the resurrection's true, that he's coming back. I want you to keep on going. So which is it? Yes. The answer is yes. He's saying to people who have not met met Jesus, believe on him for the first time. And he's saying to the rest of us that have believed, keep on going because what is true is true and it's not changing. Be encouraged because I'm with you. Now let me remind us again, before we come to the conclusion of this, what does it mean to believe? The very first sermon I preached at the beginning of this year, because our theme is believe. You see that on our walls. What does it mean to believe as a Christian? You believe Jesus existed 2,000 years ago as a guy? That you like him? That you have warm feelings towards him? That, that uh, you think maybe you should live your life sort of like he did as a moral example? No. No. All that's fine and needed, but that's not what John is talking about. See, you're not just acknowledging truth is truth. Christian belief is not acknowledgement. Christian belief is experiential knowing. It is saying, I have a relationship with this risen person. I trust him. I know him. I have confidence in him. And since that's true, I will live my life for him. When I'm dying at a car accident or in a hospital bed or at home, I put my trust in him. And after death, I will meet him. That's what it means to believe in a Christian. Sense. John says, I'm asking you to come and believe. I want you to come to the place that you confess Jesus is the Son of God. And yes, He did die for my sins, and He did rise again from the dead, and He's cleared a way back. And by the way, if you do this, he says, you will have life in his name. What does that mean? You get a set of morals? No. It means you have a personal relationship with Jesus and you experience forgiveness and you get life in this life and you get purpose in this life and you find fulfillment. Oh, here's the reason why. Because your identity no longer is about your ethnicity. Your identity is no longer in who you are or what you've grown up with or where you've been or who you are or how educated you are. Your identity, if you really believe, is rooted in in Jesus and his work in your life that gives you fulfillment and oh side note eternal life is given to you too the whole book the whole Easter story is about a person not a set of doctrines and his name is Jesus his, his work and his actions demand response what will you do with him so many of you that join us here and online, you're not Christians. You may be ethnically Christians, but you're not a follower, and you know it. Others of you who join us, I love it, are genuinely skeptical. Some of you are unbelieving. So here's the question. What, what, what does this mean for you today? Well, number one, I want to say this. I preached something like this in 2007. Never underestimate the authenticity of the Bible It does not toe the party line. It does not make everything clean. Thomas is a hardcore doubter full of questions and anger. And he's found in the most significant part of the Bible. And his doubt is connected to evidence and loss and shattered expectations. Here's my question. Is this you this morning? Here's an observation we all need to catch. How did Jesus treat Thomas? Was he angry? Did he show up and say, you stupid little boy, why don't you get this? I mean, I peered to 10, and then all the others, they're all your best friends, and they don't lie. Get with the program. Do No. Jesus shows up and brings him out of the abyss of skepticism, and loss, and question, and oh, here's a big one, loneliness, to life, and hope, and eternal life, seeing beyond the obvious, and not just living in the now. Thomas, Jesus takes Thomas's tortured, entangled heart and gives him new life, and that is also available to you. By the way, just a side note, for you who are Christians, don't you ever treat someone who's doubting in our church or outside of our church any differently than Jesus treated to Thomas, okay? This is deserved because this is real. If you're this person who you have not come to the place and you are genuinely seeking, you are a real seeker and you're struggling, you say, well, what do I do? Let me just say this. Maybe you're the person I talked about last week where you're literally like in the middle of Manhattan, remember, between St. Patrick's Cathedral and the Statue Atlas. If you don't know what I'm talking about, listen to last week's message. And you keep having to wrestle with these questions and I want to say what I said last week, then do it. Don't be a good North American and say you're going to do something and then not do it. Don't sign up to the gym and not go. Do this. I recommended a book last week called The Case for Christ. Go get it. It's it's the story of a guy who was a brilliant journalist, top end, top notch, and he was a skeptic. And he he went to wrestle with the, the claims of Christianity. And this is his academic and personal journey through the facts. And guess what? At the end, he becomes a follower of Jesus. The second book he wrote was Case for Faith. What about other religions? What about hell? What about all these things, these difficult things? Get it? And if you're a person going, John, I'm not even struggling with that. I am struggling with the existence of a personal or, or a God. Let me give you another resource. Great book by Tim Keller called The Reason for God. Great pastor out of Manhattan, lives in the heart of unbelief and skepticism, phenomenal thinker, and he wrestles through God's existence and what it means for you. See, here's the thing. If you are an honest doubter, then first of all, go buy a Bible and start reading it. Listen to the first accounts of people and decide if they're liars or not, and then hear these other things, because as you begin to read, there is a great chance that Jesus is going to appear in your dark, locked heart, and he's going to say, oh, by the way, whatever your name is, oh, I know you, I'm here. Would you like a conversation? Most people say they're serious seekers, but they never do anything about it. Do it. Because when you do, there's a great chance you may find eternal life. Maybe you're the person who was sitting here last week and you were not going to stand and say, I'm ready to believe yet. But seven days have passed and you've been mulling and wondering, and you suddenly have realized, and you cannot again quantify it, but you just know that Jesus is actually who he is, then this is the call of scripture to you this morning. Romans 10.9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you will be what? Say it loud. Saved. Maybe this is now you, and you're ready. I shared this illustration a few years ago. A famous missiologist was hanging out out with a Muslim who had just become a Christian in Africa. And his good Muslim friends came to him and said, why in the world would you embrace that faith? You had a good faith and you were honest and good and religious and devout. Why would you become a Christian? His answer is profound. He said, well, it's like this. Suppose you were going down the road and suddenly the road forked in two directions and you didn't know which way to go. And at the fork of the road, there was a dead man and a live man. Which one would you ask for directions? You see, the resurrection of Jesus is everything to us. And if you are a person at this moment where you know that God has now come to you and you are ready, you are ready to acknowledge Jesus as Savior and leader and Lord, then pray this right now in congregation. Pray at this moment for these people who pray this. Do it right now. Say, Jesus, I'm Thomas. I'm Thomas. And I've been sitting for seven days And I don't, I don't get it. But I now know. So here's what I do. Jesus, I acknowledge you as God and Lord. I believe, I, I believe that you actually physically rose from the dead for me. I turn at this moment from sin, from my, my past without you, and I look to you. I will not be self-sufficient in everything anymore. I need a Savior. On this Post one week Easter, I say yes to you. Forgive me, change me, and be my Lord too. And when I face death, hold me. Come, come and give me color in my life. In Jesus' name. Never everyone said If you prayed that this morning, I want to say very directly to you, you must tell the person you came with. If you're online, email us, Twitter us. If if you're alone today and you came, God bless you. Find one of us, anyone with a tag, and tell them, I prayed that prayer, and we'll help you out. Last thing is this. To we who are believers, let me end this message this way. You are blessed, C4 Church, through God's holy word and through his Holy Spirit, Jesus declares from heaven that you are blessed for believing and yet not seeing him yet. Do not forget that in a world that has gone wrong, in a world that even we as Christians will experience loss, regret, question, and doubt, his resurrection is true. And because his resurrection is true, we know our resurrection is true also. Death has not won. Sin has not won. Satan is conquered. And we have hope that the world does not understand. But as the Father was in Jesus, so we are in him. You are blessed. Hear that personally from Jesus to you today. And lastly, we'd be remiss if we did not end with grand worship. Don't you agree? We last week sang and we shouted at the top of our lungs that Jesus, you are who you claimed and why you came is true, and that yes, you'll come again, and, and so at this moment, I want you to get this in your head as we sing this last song, we are about to join with all of creation, and with all the angels that have stayed loyal to our master, the cherubim and the seraphim, and we're going to join all the apostles, and the prophets, and all those who were faithful to Yahweh in the Old Testament, and all the Christians that are now in heaven, right now in front of Jesus, and every Christian on earth, in big churches, and in small churches, and, and in tabernacles, and, and, and In in, in small persecuted churches and cathedrals we are going to join the holy church around the world and we are going to declare again that Jesus is risen he is risen indeed he is the victor and because of that we have hope so let us stand with all of our might and all of our genuine worship and say to him you are worthy of our worship in the name of the father in the name of the son in the name of the spirit amen